So if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to bristle at the idea that there were and are institutions in our country in our state that uh, uh, were formed based on the idea of white supremacy uh, and that have existed to perpetuate white supremacy, then that means you don't know history. All righty. Welcome in, kids. It's another fantastic week of your uh, favorite political podcast, your, at least your favorite weekly political podcast. It's Alabama Politics This Week, Josh Moon and David Person. Hey, we're going to be uh, we're going to be a little different this week. All right. Uh, I was I'm on sort of a vacation. Uh, and so, you know, today's uh, the, the birthday. And so we were uh, we were down uh, with my wife. She's at a conference. So, so we're at the beach and we were not going to do a show. And then we had so much stuff that happened. Uh, uh, and plus, we've got kind of an interview that we had before uh, that falls in line with some of the stuff that we're, is in the news. Uh, you know, so we thought, yeah, listen, we'll put together something quick. And then we started talking before the show and it may not be all that quick. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but we're going we're gonna, to we are going to replay the interview with Kwame Alexander, the author who was on a while back talking about uh, banned books and his books and and what what he thinks it means and what he tries to do as a, as a kid's author and, and how they're squashing that voice. And I think it's a very important message for right now. Yeah, definitely. But but just to clarify, you said a did you say a birthday or your birthday? Yeah, it's mine. Yeah. You know, today is your birthday. Well, uh, actually, tomorrow is my birthday. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Friday. So yeah. when this when this actually so when you hear this, when the people hear this, yes, today will be my birthday. Well, well, happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's you know, once you once you pass 21, they're all meaningless. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it's all, listen, it's all, I, I swear to you, there are days. And because there, there was something a while back where a politician messed up how old they were. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, I don't even know how old he is. There are some days when somebody asked me how old I'm, I am. And I'm like, oh, uh, uh, you know what? Uh, am I? Uh, and I have to literally kind of do the math in my head, you know, starting from the birth date and going forward. Uh, and uh, because it's just that inconsequential to me because I am forever 29 years old. Uh, that's when I stopped. Um, uh, many, many people will tell you that I stopped at 13, uh, brain development, developmentally wise. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, and so, and my wife especially will tell you that with some of the jokes I make for, uh, with her, uh, but, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, I, I don't care. Well, uh, but uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a fun, uh, uh, you know, it's a fun time. We're having a fun time at the beach. It's been uh, mostly, she's been at the conferences all uh, the last couple of days and uh, me and the little one have been hanging out. And so uh, yeah. we, we, uh, you know, I love that. So it's, uh, we're, well, we're having a good time. Just a quick word about birthdays though. So I, I wouldn't say that they are inconsequential, but I will say uh, I'm not, a, I don't celebrate birthdays in any major way myself i kind of downplay them but i do recognize that every year that it i accrue is um you know it's a it's a blessing of sorts you know uh, meaning yeah. that you know you have uh that you know because you could be uh you know you could be in the ground missing out on everything so sure. i kind of yeah. i i definitely acknowledge that and then i also think about uh 
you know, I flip it. And then I also think about, well, this is one year closer to whenever <laughs> I will be in the crowd. So. But see, I don't know. I uh, honestly, the kind of the way, the way that I think about it is, is uh-huh. I think that people put too much of an emphasis on that, especially after a certain period of time, you know, after you mm. get to be uh, around 30 ish or so, uh, you know, I think people put too much of an emphasis on, you know, where, where you should be or what you should be doing at this age or that age or what you shouldn't be doing at this age or that age or mm. how this, you know, well, you've got to do this now that you're doing, you know, you're this age and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I've never, I, I've always been more of a person that's been like, you know, listen, if you enjoy something, if this is what you want to do, uh, you know, if you want to go out and run full court basketball when you're nearly 50 years old uh, on bad knees, then punk, I go out and do it. You know what I mean? Uh, I do it. And so that's, uh, I, I like it. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, but I mean, and just other things like that as well, you know, it's, uh, it, it, you want to, you know, wrestle with the kids, you want to, you know, you want to do, you want to start going back to college, you want to, you want to do, pick a new career and start over, you want to do this, you want to do that, do it and stop worrying about that. And, and so, I mean, it just kind of has all been uh, led me to this mindset of, I, I don't really care. You know, mm-hmm. I don't really care about the age of it. And uh, so I hear I just, you say, basically, you don't let age define you. No, no, yeah. not really. Yeah. yeah. And I and I and I get that too, to a large degree. I get that. Um, I mean, it's why I, I look so youthful, honestly. I mean, it's, you know, I look well, not a day over 25. So yeah, you, you've, you've had this look for quite a few years. This look so you shave you your head off. Me. Nobody can tell how old you are. OK, you shave yeah. your hair off and it's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 Un- unlike me, uh, you know, uh, with this gray, yep. uh, I get the OG designation right. all the time from younger cats. Hey, what's up, OG? <laughs> you know, because yeah, they see this gray, you know, it makes you just want to slap somebody. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, honestly, I, and I'll tell you the other thing too, man, it's uh, like, uh, uh, there's a, uh, Nate Bergazzi. I don't know if you've ever seen Nate Bergazzi stuff as a comedian, uh, um, you should check him out. He's, he, I think you'd okay. actually enjoy him. Uh, he's, he's really funny, uh, and really popular right now. Uh, but he has this bit about how, when he was, uh, you know, how, how now he he's past 40 and, and, but he, he can't see himself as old. He sees himself as more like, you know, the 25 year old, like, you know, it's, it's, and that, that's so, that that's kind of like me. I mean, I can't, uh, it's, it's, I, 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 I can't accept that I don't, I have more in common with a 55 or 60 year old than I do with a 25 year old. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's something that's hard to wrap your head around. And it's not something that you're trying to do on purpose. It's just one of those things, you know, you, yeah, I, I can't, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that I'm not this age. I can't do these things or I, you know, I physically sometimes cannot do some things, but right. it's, uh, you know, it's. Yeah, but then you like, also think about it and, or at least I do. And I think, you know, would I really want to be 25 or 35 at this point, knowing what I know about being 25 and 35? And the answer is no, I don't want yeah. to be 25 or 35. I wouldn't mind having some of that vitality, some of that strength, yeah. whatever, whatever. But I wouldn't want to be chronologically. I wouldn't want to be that age. Well, could I go, but could I go back with the knowledge? If I could go back right, with the knowledge, right. especially the sports knowledge so I can gamble and win a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, cause come on, there's a lot of things I could do. Yeah, All right. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, uh, but 
I mean, the kick six alone would make me millions of dollars. So let's, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it, it's, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. It's it, so it doesn't, it doesn't really uh, bother me uh, at all. Uh, whatever, whatever people say or however people want to do it. I just say, you know, live your life, man. Enjoy things. Uh, unless of course you happen to be a uh, black elected or a black appointed official uh, in this state running the, the state's most successful program, in which case you really can't enjoy yourself because it's, they're always coming for you. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, in case anybody missed it, uh, Kay Ivey last week uh, fired. That's what happened. She fired hmm. uh, Dr. Barbara Cooper, who was in charge of Alabama's pre-K program. Uh, uh, Cooper has led that program for a number of years, even when she was technically under the person who was leading it. She was still running that program, uh, as many people will tell you who were a part of that. And, you know, she was appointed to that position. And when she was appointed to that position uh, after the other person resigned, nobody had a problem with it. You know how odd that is for a, a black person in this state to be appointed the head of a department and nobody complain about it. Do you know how odd that is in Alabama? It well, sure. never happens. Sure. It never happens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It never happens because we all know where we live and what happens around here. But everybody knew that she was the driving force in that program, that she was the one that was on all the committees. She was the one a part of all the organizations. She was the one who went and traveled nationally. She was the one who implemented a lot of the initiatives. She was the one who was, they could call it day and night and, and, and get an answer from. And so she was that person. And it was, I, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say it is the most successful and well-run department in the state of Alabama. Hmm. And K.I.B. fired that lady over a single resource book, yeah. a single resource book that was determined to be woke. Uh, and it's my understanding that the complaint came from the wife of a lawmaker originally who stirred up a bunch of shit on Facebook. And, uh, you know, and so you had a, a minority of right wing mouth breathing dipshits out there who called this up and K.I.B.'s office bent this. Mm-hmm. So and 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 let's emphasize to make sure people don't miss it. It's a training resource, which means it wasn't something that was being taught to children, which right. has always been the complaint. You yes. know, you're indoctrinating our children with this CRT, which has not really ever been true, as far as I know. Uh, or you're 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 indoctrinating our children with wokeness. Well, this wasn't about children. This was about a training uh, a training document or book for adults yes. adult teachers who uh, we would all assume have the critical thinking skills to apply it as they see fit mm -hmm. and then let's also examine again you know this whole fallacy of wokeness well what is wokeness you know in many cases what it is is a is a denial about history you know, uh, the way that conservative Republicans frame it, it's, it's just about denying historical facts and realities. So if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to bristle at the idea that there were and are institutions in our country, in our state that um, uh, were formed based on the idea of white supremacy uh, and that have existed to perpetuate white supremacy, then that means you don't know history. Right. That's what it means. You don't yeah. know history. You're in denial about history. 
and and the examples are so many. I, it, mm-hmm. it almost seems ridiculous to even yeah. have to to say we're talking about redlining. We're talking about you know uh, something as simple as not just redlining in terms of property and the purchase of property and and getting bank loans for neighborhoods and houses, but but even something like as simple as the fact that. Governor George Wallace stood in a schoolhouse door and refused to admit black students to the University of Alabama. Well, that's yep. that's that's what do you think that's about? If it's not about white supremacy, what was it about? Yeah. What was it about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just I mean, it's just crazy that they're in denial about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it just it goes to every everything that they argue about. OK, yeah. it takes literally two seconds of Google searching to find uh, the, the most blatant and obvious <laughs> rebuttal to right. what they're saying. It's, it's, so I mean, it's like the court system, you know? Oh, mm-hmm. really? You don't think the court system has some racism built in? You don't think so? I mean, well, here, here are 837,000 examples from the last two months. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous nonsense. And, and it's something that people say, uh, when they know they're not going to be challenged or they don't want to be challenged. Uh, it, so it makes them feel better. It makes them feel because they don't want, here's, here's what it's uh, white people. Uh, I, you know, I've got a lot of white friends, my God, they're such snowflakes. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, it, they don't want to have anyone undercut their accomplishments. Okay. That's that's what they believe this does. They believe that they're that if we say that white people have an easier path in this country because of these things that did not happen to them historically, do not happen to them today. That I mean, you know, like for example, let's say you're the head of of the most well-run organization in the state, you're not going to get fired over some dumb shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. So that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. To white people. And I wrote a column about this and I gave a pretty good example of that not happening in KIV state government. Mm-hmm. All right. Which was Jeff Dunn at the Department of Corrections, which who screwed up a department as much as you could possibly screw it up. There is not a single portion of the Department of Corrections that was well run or did not operate in some sort of failing level. Okay. There's, there was no portion of it. There was nothing you could point to from accounting to to the officers, to contraband, to mental health, to health care, to execution. Nothing, nothing that they right. did could you point to and say it wasn't failing because it was. It was failing daily. It, just monitoring people and making sure they didn't kill themselves or each other. They couldn't do that. OK, right. it failed spectacularly. And when that man left after seven years, resigned and was able to resign and stay out the year, KIV praised him praised him for that because, you know, they said, man, Jeff tried his best. He did what he could. He did what he could. But now we've got a single resource material for teachers that all it asked them to do, all it asked them to do was to consider the historical background of, of the children that they're teaching and why those backgrounds may play a role in their behaviors and their learning abilities. That's all it asked them to do. To, to set to, to consider their own biases yeah. and set them aside. Yeah, you you uh, you referring to Jeff Dunn. It reminds me of something that as a, as a white guy, you may not know that in the black community, we often uh, talk about uh, 
the fact that mediocrity is accepted from white people, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, white men in particular, because they're white men. And so then they are gifted with what we call failing up. Yep. You're failing up. Did you know that we black people talk about uh, that? Yeah, okay. I, I mean, yeah. and and uh, and you know, and talk about uh, you know that uh, the, the, that black people have to fly uh, just as a white man can walk, you know, yeah. and so and, and honestly, yeah. and it's that, that way yeah. in so many aspects, and and you know, and you see it, you know, I, I saw it, I, and I think honestly, I think a lot of of what we see in terms of this racial inequality in, in terms terms of how people are judged uh, is highlighted most easily for people to identify in sports. A lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we saw it. And I'll tell you where it was the, the most stark was at quarterback, at oh, quarterback yeah. Yeah. for years. For I, I want you to consider now that we know uh, of how great, you know, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Cam Newton, all these guys have been. Can you imagine how many black, great black quarterbacks we have wasted? Over the years, sure. because they just weren't smart enough. Just weren't smart sure. enough to get the plays. You know, I mean, you can't rely on a black quarterback. You just can't do it. You know, you can't. Uh, and that sort of racism, and and then whenever they did get a shot, the the sort of criticism that came almost immediately and overwhelming. I remember Andrew Zhao at Alabama and the amount of absolute shit that kid took for years, uh, and over. over nothing you know uh, a team that was pretty terrible around him and him trying to do his best and but he took just an unending amount of crap from people and, and it just you know it, it that is though a microcosm of what it's like in the rest of the world well and yeah I, it, it, it's a great i think you're right it's a great way to illustrate to illustrate the challenge that black people generally have had to face and and um, and it's all about, as you pointed out, I think, Josh, it's all about, first of all, a, a, a denial of, of, of the mediocrity and, and also a refusal to, um, to be characterized as, as less than, you mm-hmm. know. So, again, it all comes down to this sort of mythology around uh, white supremacy and white superiority. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the toxin in the water. It's the virus in the system. It's, you know, it's just what has defined our country and our state in many ways. And, and so now to bring it on back to Barbara Cooper, here's a woman who, by the way, um, had a a fairly successful tenure, as I recall, here in Huntsville with the Huntsville city schools as an assistant superintendent. He or she now is is made the fall guy or scapegoat in the quest of uh, of Governor Kay Ivey to perpetuate this mythology around white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, and she was she was. And that's the way most people have described her as a very apolitical uh, person as well. Uh, she was she was not necessarily into the politics of things. Uh, you know, she uh, was brought in by Casey Wardensky, of all people, in Huntsville. Who is um, is who is, is <laughs> right wing crazy? Be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so you know, and and was well respected uh, by him, and a lot of the folks that are around him was uh, obviously was appointed by Ivy to that position. Uh, you know, and so you're right, man. It just 
it's so it's it's such a um when I, when I when I saw that, I thought there's no way. There's no way. And you know, there I've heard some rumors about what, what went down uh with this. And and I believe they're they're probably pretty accurate in that um that this decision, like many these days, were made was made without necessarily Kay Ivey or anybody uh who's been around government for an extended period of time having input. Um and you know that it was a reactionary sort of I I don't even know the best way to describe a reactionary firing what based on the complaints of a few because they these young folks that are basically running Kay Ivey's office over there right now uh are stuck in an echo chamber. Um, where they never get anything, any sort of information from sane people outside of that. And you know, well, what you're many, saying you don't think Kay Ivey was directly involved in the decision? Well, she signed think, off on it. I think she probably signed off on it at the end, but I think by that point it was probably pretty well down the road. Um, and um, I think that it was mainly done by a staff, a group of staff that was, as I'll tell you this, as a Republican and a Democrat, both high ranking elected officials in this state okay as both of them described it to me uh they essentially use the same terminology and that is that uh, basically we've got an sga running the governor's office uh over there hmm. um and um and they, neither of them were happy about this there were a lot of republicans who were very angry you won't hear them say anything because that's not how they operate uh, you know because god forbid you know you <laughs> But Stand but, but Josh, we can't, right. but we can't uh, distance. We can't distance. I'm not Ivy's trying to own statements. Yeah, uh, because Ivy's statements about this were pretty clear. Mm-hmm. You know, she associated this whole thing with wokeness. She went on the record in a very specific way. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think we yeah, can. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to. Well, I mean, okay, <laughs> but we we know from reading those the Ivy didn't say that, right? I mean, we yeah. know that. We we know we know that somebody wrote that and put that in a press release. Okay, well, she, I, and I'm not I'm not I'm not excusing what yeah. she said. I'm 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 not. I want to be clear here. If anything, what I'm saying is more of a criticism of KIB than it is letting her off the hook in some mm-hmm. way. I'm not trying to do that at all. What ultimately this falls on her. This is her responsibility. It's her yeah. responsibility to run her office. It's her responsibility to take better control of things. And the fact that she is not is not. Uh, get out of jail free card in any way, shape, or form for tough decisions. The fact that she's not is, you know, she ought to step down. She can't run it. Step down and let Will Ainsworth take control. Yeah. All right. Uh, and so, but we can't continue down this path. And I, I'll tell you privately, a lot of people are very concerned. And this was the one that kind of brought it home for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people have been concerned for a while that she's not in charge and that there are not. Uh, as one person put it, there's there's nobody with gray hair over there making any decisions. Um, hmm. and, and that is a, is a pretty big problem for a lot of folks ever since Joe Bonner left a couple of years ago and took over at South Alabama. Uh, there has been, you know, Bonner stayed involved for a number of months afterwards. And I think it e- eased a lot of people into this, but since that time, there's been a lot of things that have gone on behind the scenes that average folks are, are not very privy to, uh, that has greatly troubled. I think a lot of people, this is the most odd. Op- 
obvious and public one. But there have been other things. There have been things where they have not been able to get clear answers. There have been things where they've been where folks have been told one thing and then something else was done. There have been things where uh, been situations where the governor's office never carried through on things that they they promised they were going to carry through on. Uh, and so and it has angered not Democrats, but Republicans mm-hmm. uh, and, and not just your your crazy Republicans, because let's be honest, there there are three factions in this state right now. There are same ish Republicans, crazy as hell Republicans and Democrats. All right. And uh, mostly the Democrats and the same ish Republicans are running things right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that those that group of people have been very troubled uh, as a kind way to put it, by how, the way the governor's office has been behaving of recent. Interesting. You brought up the name Joe Bonner. I just have to make a quick um, acknowledgement here. Joe Bonner and I met uh, quite a few years ago, and I, I st- I'm, I'm a little vague on what, what the event was. But we had a really phenomenal conversation, and I found him to be... Uh, even though we were obviously of different political persuasions, I found him to be a very reasonable person yeah. and a very thoughtful person. And mm-hmm. uh, we really uh, we really had a great conversation, enjoyed our interaction. And it's why it, it was another indication to me as to why, even though I may identify as a flaming liberal progressive, (laughs) democratic voting person, you can't close the door to dialogue and you can't, you know, paint everybody with a broad brush. You know, even if you clearly disagree on key things, you know, you still have to leave that door cracked, not only for dialogue, but for real consideration and understanding. And, uh, and I really appreciated our interaction and it's, and it's, uh, if, if, if his departure is part of the reason that we're in this mess with the governor's office, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised because of what I experienced with him that day. And then also it's, it's our state's loss. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I'll, I'll say that uh, as well. Uh, I met uh, met Bonner a couple of times, talked with him, wrote a nice column about him uh, when he left to go to the South Alabama, because I think a lot of people were giving him uh, some undeserved uh, nonsense for uh, being selected to run that uh, that school down there. I mean, I understood kind of why they were complaining about it. But at the same time, I had also watched somebody of his stature um, and, and his demeanor. Uh, and, and I'm talking about Quentin Ross at Alabama State, go in at Alabama State and have the political connections and have the um, the temperament, I thought, I thought that would serve that school well. It was that they were kind of in the similar position, uh, Alabama State and, and South Alabama at the at the time both of those men came in. Uh, and I thought that Quentin Ross would serve ASU well. And I think, listen, I think that's played out pretty well. You know, listen, mm-hmm. you know what? As a matter of fact, let me go ahead right now and offer up my services for your next scouting of your president at your university. Uh, you can just call me anytime or email. Email us here, apwproducer at gmail.com, and I, for a small fee, will help you find your next university president. Uh, I'm two for two so far. So, all right. Um, 
And so, and also I told you that one wasn't going to work out and uh, at a certain uh, historically black college in North Alabama. And I think that might be playing out to be the case. So um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, Interesting. We'll have to talk about that off mic. Yeah, yeah. we can do that. Uh, But no, and. And you're, but you're right about uh, about that, and I think it is good for uh, for us to uh, uh, to have more people who are uh, sane and encourage their their saneness. Uh, yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I was going to talk to you about this uh, after after we got finished with the show. But since we've already got to talk about that president thing, I'll ta- I'll tell you now. I, I was considering uh, if you were okay with it, inviting Katie Britt to be on our show next week. Um, sure, uh, she has a, a very interesting bill which I. I am very supportive of, uh, which bans uh, social media usage for kids under 13 and uh, and also puts other limits on it. And I wanted to talk to her about that. She worked on that with uh, Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Brian Schatz of Hawaii, and uh, Tom Cotton of Arkansas, which is quite a foursome, I got to say. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I thought maybe we could uh, talk to her about that, talk to her about the other things that are going on, get her perspectives on the state. And, uh, you know, she seems to be more sane than our other senator. And and so we'll see how that works out. No, I don't know if we can yeah, get it or I'm, not, but I'm, I'm open to it. Now I will say um, <laughs> that bill. Um, uh-huh. I I don't as a, it, it, it strikes me as it strikes me as interesting that a party that is historically uh, screamed foul whenever there was government control. Uh-huh. Is and, and and specifically over parenting mm-hmm. is now saying that they want to uh, basically usurp the rights of parents to decide whether or not their children can engage in social media. That strikes well, me as very strange. I I you know I I think that's something that we can uh, we can talk about. I, yeah. Although I will say I am. I, I there have been very few pieces of legislation that have come along that I've been more supportive of uh, mm. uh, because I think I I think that if you read through because I have a little and so yeah. we my wife and I have looked at a number of studies and a number of you know uh, stories and and things like that that are citing mental health experts talk to you know that talk to mental health experts and things and and kind of get a, a clear picture of not just necessarily social media but social media specifically and the, and its effects on the minds of young people and the way these companies um, target them, the way they use algorithms and imagery and different things. And I mean, this is all uh, scientifically proven. This is not some conspiracy theory craziness, okay? I'm not saying that they're programming kids to go out and commit thefts or something, all right? All right. I'm not doing that. But right. but there is, if you go and read about what's taking place at a lot of these companies, there is a lot of targeting that goes on, and I believe that it plays a role in some of the uh, – the incredible increases of right. childhood depression and anxiety that facilitates bullying. I'm not, I'm yeah. not challenging the, I'm not challenging your right sure. to make whatever decision you want as a parent. I'm challenging their right and their mm-hmm. position to say that government should have the ability to usurp that right, especially considering that these are the same people that were in a in a freaking tizzy over the fact that the government was requiring, you know, children to wear masks in school. And they right. were hell bent on making sure that their children mm-hmm. 
could walk around unmasked. I, I, I understand. It just it's I, illogical to me that I, there's no logic to this 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 train here, the, the direction of this train. I, I, I completely understand what you're saying, although I would argue that if if we are going to maintain uh, the logical high ground uh, here, then this falls in line uh, with the masking that you talked about uh, and the ability to, you know, to prevent disease and, and, and care for children. And also it falls in line with not allowing children of certain age to have weapons, firearms. Um, I believe, you know, there, there are many parents that are out there that argue, well, it should be my right to take my, you know, let my kid learn how to shoot a gun at mm-hmm. 10 years old. 11 years old and so, the law says otherwise so you think though, so, that, that the you're but to me that suggests that you're saying that the the danger that social media use represents to children is equatable to is. the danger that covid represented believe, to children so. and that guns represent to children i believe it is yeah. okay i believe right. i believe i believe i believe it is and and I just just from what i read i believe as a matter of fact i believe that uh, and especially when we're talking about firearms, that the danger represented by social media in a lot of cases is directly involved with the danger posed by weapons. Um, and, and so I think that those things uh, come together in a lot of cases and 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 cause great harm to children and in some cases, massive harm to, to children. And uh, and I, I just think that it's um, it's a development issue. I think it's uh, something that a lot of parents don't understand. Uh, I think it's a lot, uh, and I, I know that what you're saying about rights, and I, I don't question what you're saying, and I understand what your point of view completely uh, about that, and and it, it does give me pause to say we're taking control of this away from parents uh, to a certain degree. Uh, but you know, if if we're saying, if the studies and the doctors and people are saying that this is harmful to this degree for essentially all children, which I believe if you read that they, they do say that, um, then what right are we granting parents? Are, are we saying that we have, or we're, we, that parents have a right to, to harm their children? Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep some of my powder dry for next week if she joins us, but I do have a, I do have a comeback for that, but uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, save some of that for next week. Well, listen, when you come at me and Senator Katie Britt, you better come. You know, so. uh, uh, but no, you know, that's, uh, so that's, you know, that's where we are. All right. There were, there were a couple of other things that we wanted to get to before we, uh, the, before our, for our, our brief intro. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, all right. So we wanted we wanted to get to this. We wanted to also you had one thing that you brought up. What what did we bring? What, what else uh, were we Oh, do? yeah. Just what happened with, uh, you know, we had we had big media news this week with. The, oh, yes. The yes. departures or not the departures, but the terminations yeah. of uh, of uh, uh, Don Lemon at CNN and Tucker Carlson at Fox News. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's I think we're all still trying to process uh, what that's all about. Uh, the From what I can gather, the the one that's got the most legs is the Tucker Carlson one, because apparently the more that they learn about, uh, the more that is learned about um, what he actually said in text messages that Mm -hmm. had been redacted. Mm -hmm. uh, And 
and and and how offensive he was. Uh, he was misogynistic. He was racist. He was a lot of things yeah. that apparently uh, even even surpass his misogyny and racism on his show. That uh, that the Murdochs felt that uh, he was going to be an even bigger liability. Uh, or, or at least an ongoing liability beyond the suit that they just settled. And yeah, they still, they still got Smartmatic to go, man. I yeah, mean, it's, they, you know, yeah, they're yeah. about to have, have another one hit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I think I think most people saw the writing on the wall for Don Lemon a while back. Uh, the Variety article, uh, you know, that came out about his misogynistic uh, tendencies and uh, yeah. the things he had said, and um, uh, you know, and I got the real sense that. Uh, that Caitlin Collins and Poppy Harlow were not big fans, uh, you know, and that maybe he had done something to rub them the wrong way as well. Um, I, I say, I'll tell you this. I've had two interactions with Don Lemon in my life. Both of them were fantastic. He, he could not have treated me nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll say, uh, you know, when back during the Roy Moore deal, uh, you know, I was on TV a lot, uh, MSNBC, uh, CNN, uh, even Fox News uh, one night. And um, uh, the only host uh, that that came on and spoke to me prior to going on was Don Lemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came on and just wanted to, it was me and somebody else going on at the same time. And he just came in and wanted to chit chat, uh, wanted to see what, what was, what was up, what, what was really going on with things and, uh, talked to us for probably 15, 20 minutes. And I mean, it was oh, wow. funny. And, and he was, he was very nice at the end of the interview, instead of just hanging up like he normally did, would, uh, he popped back on and wanted to, you know, thank us uh, for it. Uh, it was kind of similar situation the other time that I was on with him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I liked him from those things. I knew nothing else about him, so I don't know if he was misogynistic or not. He didn't, mm. you know, I'm not a woman, so he didn't treat me poorly. Uh, but well, uh, well, you know, misogyny and rape is not the only thing that he's uh, that people are saying may have concerned CNN. There's an interview that he had, uh, and I can't remember which of the women, uh, which of his co- female co-hosts was with him, but there was only one. He was talking to, uh, was it Poppy Harlow? I know which one you talked Yeah, the, he was the, 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 the man the with, Indian Indi- man. Uh, with the Indian uh, man. Yes, yes, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, so there's some suggestion that maybe, uh, because Don was uh, very aggressive in his challenging of that man's uh, assertions about race and and i actually sided with don lemon on it i thought he was right on the money in challenging this guy yeah and and actually he was he went so far as to accuse the man of sort of trying to as as we like to say splain you know Mm -hmm. mansplain well race splain to him about you know, as a black person, what it was yeah. like to be a black person. Yeah, yeah. I, I, man, was no. like, yo, yo, I'm black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. How you yeah. can tell me I'm black, yeah. you know? So oh, uh, I thought he was on the right side of that. But uh, some people felt like that was also uh, the uh, a problem with the, the CNN execs, that they didn't like him asserting himself in that way on that topic. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man. One thing I've, I've been thinking a lot the last several days uh, is – Boy, those uh, that that George Floyd moment of, you know, 
cognizance for for a couple of minutes you know where we we were all gonna hey this is gonna change things and we're gonna we're gonna be more mindful of racism and the role that racism plays and we're gonna listen to uh to black people specifically when they speak out about things and then too the same thing uh, to a certain degree about women mm-hmm. uh you know uh, boy that shit has dried up in a hurry oh yeah i mean yeah. Uh, not only dried up but people have gone the exact opposite way uh, mm-hmm. When you see so many of these things, I mean, from the the stupid CRT arguments to the woke stuff to the, I mean, it boy, it has gone. It, white people are the most fragile little snowflakes in the whole damn world. What is wrong with my people, man? Good God, <laughs> it is. I mean, Jesus Christ! Don't God forbid somebody say, "Hey, man, you know, uh, you you've accomplished a lot, but you know what? You didn't have these barriers that this guy did." What? You know, and it's just like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Shakespeare uh, quote, methinks thou dost protest too much. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's insanity. It really is. Yeah. And uh, just to, to watch them, you know, just lose their minds over yeah. this stuff, man, is something else. But uh, yes, I guess I tell people all the time, I was like, well, let me ask you this. Did, did you work hard to get where you were? No, I can't. Hell yeah. Busted my ass. I said, well, did you try your best? Did, you know, did you, did you give it everything you had? It's like, yeah. I said, was it easy? Was it easy for you to get here? Oh, hell no, it wasn't easy. I had to do, you know, scratch and claw and do all this. And I said, all right, now imagine that every step of the way, somebody out there was trying to keep you from doing it. You know? And they're like, well, yeah. I, was like, I said, well, then that, not, you know, that's what a lot of black people feel in this country. You know, that's how they have been treated. It's not just how they feel. It's how they've been treated in mm-hmm. this country, you know, for a number of years, whether it be uh, denial to education, uh, you know, denial to jobs, denial to housing, denial to all of these things. All of these things played a role and there were roadblocks along the way for, for those that you didn't have to go to, to navigate. Mm-hmm. So shouldn't we be shouldn't we be when you talk about wanting equality, shouldn't we be looking at ways to eliminate those roadblocks? You know, when you what can you prove that? You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, motherfucker. I can prove it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Read a book sometime, you ignorant bitch. Uh so uh, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be the title of the segment. Read a book, you ignorant bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I love this. I'm gonna have I'm gonna make sure that I have you around to be my my angry Obama when I <laughs> When I'm not when I'm not allowed to curse for religious reasons, I'm going to say, Josh, take it away. <laughs> you know what I want to say? Go. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Not on a on a far more serious note. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to uh, to to touch on was uh, the the details of the shooting uh, in Dayton mm, that were finally yeah, released this week, yeah. uh, which are just frankly uh, mind boggling. Uh, in a very, very short period of time, there were 89 shots fired, at least in there, because they recovered 89 shell casings. Um, Four people were killed, 32 were injured, uh, six were critically injured. I believe they're still in the hospital. Mm. Um, And they found seven firearms. Uh, So we know at least seven firearms were there. Um, And man, I that they've tied two of the alleged shooters to other shootings, um, you know, including a shooting later that same night in Auburn. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so um, at one point in the party, a speaker fell over 
from the DJ was at the party. A speaker fell over, sounded like a gunshot, uh, and everybody stopped for a second. And then in some sort of celebration or show of strength or whatever, um, or show of stupidity, I guess, uh, several people in the, m- multiple people in the room raised their shirts to show that they were carrying firearms. Mm. Um, mm. They were, there were uh, many of the weapons, or at least some of the weapons uh, that they have recovered were modified illegally to fire automatic, automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, man, we got a problem with the guns. Without question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a problem yeah. when so many people show up to a 16 year old's birthday party. With, with with that many damn weapons. Well, that- yeah. Now we don't know how many people actually were armed. Right? No, we don't. We yeah. don't. But we well, we know at but, least uh, we know at least seven or eight were armed. You know. Well, we know there were at least seven or eight weapons. I mean, some of those people could have had more than one weapon. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, that there were seven people armed. Yeah. You know, that's out of a whole crowd of kids, right? Fifty, yeah, fifty some odd kids. Yeah, so, so ten percent of the people they were on. Yeah, uh, you know, so, at least okay. at so least ten we'll, percent were. Yeah, at least ten percent were armed, which is which is way too many uh, for a birthday party uh, where yeah. there should have been no one armed. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and then and then also, uh, you know, I think about. The kids who were there innocently to just have fun, which yeah. I would assume was the bulk of those those young people. They were there innocently to have fun, to dance, to 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 maybe, you know, be with some kid that they had a crush on or like yeah. were dating or whatever the case may be. And then it turns into this of seven if we're going to say seven people because of seven armed people you know we're looking at something that becomes a nightmare for the rest of them i mean that's just horrible um so i i want to keep it in perspective that we're not talking about you know uh, uh a crowd you know a room you know this wasn't like um you know some gangbangers uh you know, you know, and I'm not saying you were yeah. saying that, but I just want to yeah. be really specific that we, you know, that's not what we're saying. Uh, it, that's not our understanding of what this was. But at the same time, you know, there were clearly young people there who were armed. And, and that mm-hmm. brings us back to the question of, you know, how are how are because I think there were only a handful of people there that were over 21. Right. Yeah, there were there were just a handful. Uh, as a matter of fact, of the six people who have been charged, only three of them are over the age of eighteen. Right. Uh, the other the other three are seventeen, sixteen, and a fifteen. Right. So how do those um, children? How do they get weapons? What are they you know, doing with guns? What are they doing with weapons. you know modified weapons? You know? Yeah, modified, modified, and, you know, not not to mention, and the other, it's not like the other kids were, you know, in their 40s or something. Right. You know, they were uh, early, you know, 18, 18, 19, and 22, I believe. Is mm. that right? Uh, but, you know, and 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 so, you know, and, and among them, we have another, you know, like I said, the, the person that was uh, linked to another shooting in Auburn is in the ballistics returned on, on shell casings in both of those shootings, linked them together. Uh, and then... There's another uh, one of the people who were there 
who was linked to another shooting because he was wearing an ankle monitor because he was a court ordered ankle monitor because he'd been on trial for that shooting. Wow. You know, he's going to be. Wow. And, and so, yeah. you know, I mean, it just, we got a, I, we've got, we, I think we've got a couple of big problems and, and I, you know, you know, everybody knows my feeling on the guns situation We're we're having, we got it. We got to figure out something there. Uh, the other thing that we've got to figure out is, is conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, and, and whether it be introducing courses in schools, uh, introducing uh, something to, to allow teachers to, uh, or, or help mental health care experts uh, to, to be in classes and, and requiring these sorts of things. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I was, I, I'm open to pretty much anything, but we've got a lot of kids now that are number one armed and number two uh, ready to solve conflict of the least of kind with a weapon. Okay. Well, is is that uh, only a kid's problem though? Because it seems to me like that's there are a lot of adults who fall into that category yeah, too. No, no, you're right. But I, I think we, I think the only way to stop it uh, right now, or, or at least the best way to address it, is to start with the mm. kids uh, and make sure we we cut it off because you know that this is where we all learned this yeah. uh, stuff was in school and, and how to how to address our problems and how to how to deal with them and. Um, you know, and and I, I think, again, a lot of this goes back to the social media aspect of this as well. Uh, and I think a lot of kids, a lot of these, you know, I, a lot of these conflicts are exacerbated by uh, by the social media aspect of these of this stuff. And a lot of the way that people deal with things are learned through those experiences. And I, I just I feel like that all of these things need to be addressed in a better way because we've got a whole generation of people uh, now that are solving issues that used to be nothing that, I mean, to you and me, they would be, we wouldn't even waste our time on this mm-hmm. stuff, you know, when we were growing up <clears throat> and it's now death. Yeah. It's now a room full of people getting shot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's multifactorial. I mean, yeah. you know, social media doesn't help these situations and and certainly as we we know that it has exacerbated some of these situations guns definitely don't help um you know i you know i think about and i know you know you you go back in time and you know kids have always had beef mm-hmm. you know um playground fights you know were pretty routine um, but they didn't yes. end up with people dying. And I, and I guess that's the thing that we, you know, that's the thing that we're wrestling with today that, that because of these, these, these multiple factors that were not around when I was a kid or when you were a kid, um, people are dying and, mm-hmm. uh, we do have to do something about it. And I think, uh, and it angers me when we talk about, you know, when we throw up our hands and act like there's nothing we can do when it comes to the guns aspect. Yeah. Um, I I think, you know, I may not be, and so far I'm still not convinced that we need to be placing a universal ban on social media for anybody under 13. Uh, but I'll say for sure that there's no way in the world that, 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 that people that are not adults should be able to get weapons. 
yeah, or yeah. have access to weapons. Um, and I, I would really, even yeah. argue, going back to the social media thing for a second, yeah. because of what they say about the formulation, uh, because of what scientists say about the formulation of the uh, uh, adolescent and young adult brain, if you're going to ban it at 13, you may as well ban it until they're 25, 26, because mm-hmm. they're saying that that's not, that it's not until then, I'm talking about social media, mm-hmm. they're saying that it's not until then that, uh, that, 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 that young adults are really, their brains are fully formed. So if you're going to, if you're going to institute a social media ban, why, why, why stop at 13? I mean, and I'm well, not even for it, but I'm just throwing that out there. Hey. I, I, I got. I'll be honest with you. I'd be fine if they outright banned it all together. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know what you're saying. I think there's probably uh, there's probably some evidence there of the developmental uh, track that uh, the kids are on uh, that puts them at a certain level uh, past past that age. Um, and, you know, and, and but again, uh, we kind of back to our original first conversation uh, to open this thing. Uh, I also think people put a little too much emphasis on, on certain numbers and 13 is when they become a teenager and all of a sudden, you know, people uh, use that number as, as, as being more meaningful than it probably should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that you would have much success in being able to ban it past 18, you know, when people are technically adults. Um, mm. but, uh, you know, so, well, although we, we do a fine job with alcohol, so, you know, why not, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and again, another thing that uh, is, you know, we've deemed to be harmful to children and we don't allow parents to make that choice for them. No. Um, so, uh, but anyways, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's, it's, it's, we, we've got to figure out something there and, yeah. um, and because we're, we're heading down a path that's, uh, that's unsustainable. Uh, at this well, that's a question for the senator. You know, yes, if, it is. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna focus on social media, why not also focus on guns? Yeah, yeah, guns and uh, guns and a number of different things. And yeah. and and I know where you know, I know where she'll go. She'll go to mental health, uh, which uh, in some ways is fair, but in in also other ways is a cop out. You know, yep. and um, so. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up here with our. Uh, we will give you a right wing nut before we slide out. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be uh, Bernie Marino. <laughs> uh, Bernie who, Marino. Uh, yeah, he's a uh, some uh, and really I only know about Bernie because the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, <laughs> highlighted his ignorant comments, and which uh, he and he's apparently a fairly serious candidate for Congress uh, from Ohio, I believe, and. Um, Bernie uh, wants to give reparations to white people from the Civil War, uh, the descendants of white soldiers uh, from from the Civil War, which is anybody who has the least bit of knowledge about the Civil War will find that pretty comical since most of those white soldiers were, in fact, compensated during the Civil War. uh, you know, and and not only that, many of the soldiers went to fight for a fee from rich people, uh, so they were further compensated. Uh, so it's yeah, and white people were compensated. White slaveholders were also in. I, I know for sure, in some cases, if not most cases, were compensated for slave uh, slaves that they uh, that they lost because of the Emancipation Proclamation. So that's right. So I'm not really sure what uh, 
Mr. Moreno what his what his beef is. Maybe maybe he hasn't read that part of the history book. Well, I think, uh, Mr. I don't know how old he is, but apparently his brain never developed. Uh, so um, he's fifty six, Josh. His brain is developed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it, it did not develop. Uh, it did not develop well. Okay, <laughs> developed. It did not develop well. Uh, so yeah, but uh, you know what? Uh, just try to do better. And uh, and I think that's uh, listen. We gave you way more than we intended on giving you this week, and so we're going to leave now, and we're going to leave you with uh, Kwame Alexander. And I hope people will pay attention to the words he says. Um, and uh, and know and have some understanding of of where we're heading with the with the book banning and uh, all of, all of the woke nonsense and yeah. you know really to to my white people y'all get your shit together okay <laughs> um, and until next week y'all be safe out there peace. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama politics this week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. And we are really happy now to have with us uh, author, best-selling author, uh, Kwame Alexander, uh, written a number of, of children's books, uh, some of which apparently we're banning now. Uh, I, so the, which tells me he's a really good children's author. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, Mr. Alexander, really appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with us today. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Anytime I get to talk about books, I love it. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, but you're not, uh, it's not just books, right? Uh, you've also uh, written some poems. I know you've worked with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, you're going to actually be given, uh, you're, you're given a speech uh, uh, for the for the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Civil Rights uh, Memorial Center. Uh, right. And, and, and written a, a poem after the after the death of George Floyd uh, and the and the conviction of the police officers in that. Um, it's so you're 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 writing all sorts of stuff, right? Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of bringing together community through language and literature and what we did with the Southern Poverty Law Center. What we do on national public radio is we ask listeners, we ask people to to create their own poems about various themes and topics that matter, whether it be about social justice, about equality. Um, and, and once all these, you know, poems come, come in, then I take those poems and create this sort of one community poem, pulling lines from this person or words from this author and try to create, you know, one sort of beautiful a montage of voices around America to really showcase how words can bring us together. Man, that's, that is, that's really, that's really great. It really is. Uh, really, really, really is, it is, is touching and great. And that, you know, and you, but yeah, I wanted to kind of start, I guess, with with actually got some of the books and uh, uh, one, one of your books, uh, The Crossover, 
believe you're working with uh, uh, one of my favorite athletes of all time, LeBron James, uh, to, to produce a Disney Plus show. Um, and then uh, The Undefeated uh, was one of yours. And I believe it's been banned. Is that is that right? Because that's really kind of what I wanted to get into was, was I wanted you to talk about the work that you've done, uh, sp- specifically the children's books and the importance that you you, you bring, you, you believe those have in, in, uh, in our society. And then to see that work then be banned by people and how that kind of affects you. You know, it's a good question. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about people who have very little imagination when it comes to the power of literature to transform young minds. I've seen it. I've been to a thousand schools over the past 10 years. I got two kids. I know what poetry and literature has done for me to engage me, to inspire me, to empower me. So when people talk about, you know, maybe one of my books is banned, for instance, that happened in in Texas, in a district in Texas. I found out that a book that I had written called The Undefeated was banned. And so I was asked, well, what do you think about that? I don't think anything about it. I flew down to Texas. I flew to the district. I went, I made contact with the librarian who I knew was a fan. And I asked, could I visit her class to read from the crossover? And of course, the crossover is the book that I, that you mentioned is going to be a TV series on Disney plus. I produced it with LeBron James. It has not been banned. And most, you know, students love this book. I've sold millions of copies. So I went into the school and said, I'm going to read from the crossover. And when I got there, the kids loved it. And after I read from the crossover, I pulled out the undefeated, the book that was banned. And I read it to the students and they loved it. And the teachers saw how engaged they were and how it wasn't going to make any particular white kid feel guilty. It wasn't going to create negative feelings. Ultimately, books, poems, language, literature, when it's done right, it brings us all together. It makes us feel like we are one community, like we're all connected, like we're empathetic for each other, to each other. And that's all we want. We want to be able to create and nurture beautiful human beings. And that's what I try to do with my books. Man, I love it. Um, And, you know, of course, we, Josh and I also write, we're not children's books authors, but we're columnists. And we've been writing columns for newspapers inside and outside of Alabama for two or three decades, I guess, collectively. Um, Writing is a powerful tool. You know it, we know it. Um, And I, and I guess I wonder, uh, even though it's a, it's a very powerful tool and it's a skill, there is a little um, intuitiveness that come play when you're writing. And so I wonder to what extent in the back of your mind, when you think about what you're trying to do and what you believe your, your mission is, uh, how you, how you balance it out with the noise, you know, the noise of people, you know, suggesting that your books are doing something that they're not doing and, 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 and being critical in ways that, you know, go beyond just, uh, what I would call acceptable artistic critiques and and more into motives and innuendo and that sort of thing. Wow, David, you making it way more deep, man. I, 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 <laughs> hey, look, I probably need to give it some more thought because I don't think about any of that, but it's valid. What you're saying is valid. Here's what I think about Josh and David. 
I think about, is this book going to be entertaining? Is it going to be a page turner? Is it going to make my reader want to turn to the last page? I think about, am I offering something inspirational? Is there something in this book that is going to inspire, that's going to make you feel something that you weren't necessarily feeling before you picked it up? Is there something in this book that's ultimately empowering? Like, is this book going to make you then want to go out and become a willing participant in the world? Look, my mission is to change the world one word at a time. I know that I'm not going to be able to do that if you don't finish my book. So ultimately, regardless of whatever type of message or inspiration I'm trying to offer, I got to write a page turner. I got to write something that's interesting. Look, my professor in college was a woman named Nikki Giovanni. And I took her classes for three years at Virginia Tech. Wow. David, she told me, I remember she gave me a C in class and I was livid. And I went to her, I went to her office and I was like, what's up with the C? And she said, Kwame, I can teach you how to write, but I cannot teach you how to be interesting. Mm. <laughs> uh, wow. That, that, those were some fighting words. But yeah. when I when I look back on it, that's what I learned, man. I got to walk through life and be able to tell my story. My story matters. I got to share it in a way that's going to be, you know, all those things I said, engaging, inspiring, empowering. So that's what I think about. Last thing I think about is, do I love this story? Because if I don't love it, it's, it's probably, you know, assured that you're not going to love it. Well, look, man, if you got Nikki Giovanni uh, <laughs> talking smack to you about your writing, I don't think any other noise is going to matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. There you go. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this. Um you 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 co-produced this TV series with uh, LeBron James. I think that's so exciting, and that's just one more reason that I'm a big LeBron James fan. You know, looking at what he does with his resources and his platform. How did that come to be? How did you end up hooking up with LeBron James? Well, the crossover my 15th book and my first novel for young people was rejected by 22 publishers. And finally, after five years, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt decided they were interested and they wanted to publish it. A year later, it won this award called the Newberry Medal, which is for the, it's an award for the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. And when that happened, the book, came on the radar of every Hollywood studio and producer there was. So I kind of had my, you know, I had a lot of interest. And early on, LeBron's company, Spring Hill Entertainment, that's his film and TV company, they expressed some interest. And naturally, because he's my favorite player, not just because of what he does on the floor, but like you intimated, what he does off the floor with his money, with his resources, that, you know, I knew that I really wanted to work with him. So that's how that happened. Yeah, the Newberry Award is definitely, I guess, I think that's the most prestigious award, right, for children's books? The most look, prestigious? Look, you can say it, David. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Speak on it. <laughs> uh, oh, I love that, man. That's, that's very a, cool. Yeah. Josh, I just want to ask him one other thing. Sure. Did you actually interact directly with LeBron? Did he actually have notes for you? 
uh, on anything or, or, or any, did you guys have any interaction as it relates to the direct interaction as it relates to the creation of the series? David, now you all up in my business. We don't know each other like that. I don't know you like that, David. I will say this. Um, LeBron, LeBron's company is, you know, highly invested in creating, you know, media projects that are going to uplift our community and that are great stories. And his company has been intimately involved from the very beginning. And there's no way we, you know, we could have been able to bring this TV series to the screen, you know, without, without what they bring to the table um, and what he brings to the table. Uh, listen, I, I think what David is trying to ask, and really what I'm trying to ask as well is, could you get us some tickets? Uh, yeah, four, <laughs> side, hey. four, four seats would be great. I mean, hey, look, look, they don't have to be, you know. Look, I'm going to tell you this about, <laughs> about last fall, maybe November, right. me and the co-showrunner of the crossover, Damani Johnson. We were on the floor at the Lakers game. What? We got four seats. And, and, Le- and Bron was sitting right next to us. He was on my right. Like, I could reach out and touch him. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I can get you tickets, but, yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, well, I feel good for you, I guess. Uh, you know. I, yeah, I, I do wanted to go back real quick and, and I'm, I, uh, to something that you said because it, it – it struck something with me and because I feel the, uh, I think, I think if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, I feel kind of the exact same way. Cause I'll write something from time to time and, and I'll get an email from someone who says, listen, I love the way you, you constructed this and this, you know, and the, uh, the imagery that you, you chose to use for this and that. And I'm thinking the whole time I'm reading that email, Man, I just wrote this stuff down. <laughs> you know, I didn't. That's all I wasn't thinking about. I thought this was a good. I got mad about something, and I wrote a column about this. You know, and uh, and so it, it it. But I think that to me is is the best writing is is when it's something that you know strikes something within you, and 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 it makes you feel something when you're writing it down. And and that's where I think the best written work, whether it be children's books or poetry or newspaper columns or whatever, I think that's where that comes from. And, I, and so I guess what I'm saying is, do you feel the same way uh, or did I hear that wrong? Absolutely. Think about it like this. If you if you write in a cookbook and you want people to enjoy the meals, you got to test out the recipes. The food's got to taste good to you. Right. So you think about it, whatever we're writing, we're writing recipes for our lives. We're writing recipes for how to enjoy ourselves. We're writing recipes for how to walk through life and feel like, you know, like door, like books are like ways for us to open a world of possible. And so the, the recipe for doing that, we got to believe in it as writers before we can share it with readers so that they can then believe in it. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah, well, listen, I, I really, and David as well, I know uh, we really appreciate you, you coming and, and spending some time uh, with us. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I know that we got you coming right off the of stage. You're giving us a, a speech and you're busy and uh, you got probably LeBron's waiting on you to go out. And, <laughs> hey, hey Brown, uh, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but before before we get you out of here, uh, yeah, I, I just is there 
in the in the current environment, we've seen the pictures of the empty bookshelves in in Florida. We've seen we've heard the stories. We've seen the school board fights. We've seen this. When, when you see these things taking place, uh, you see the the overall environment that we're living in, where we're telling people that you can't read this because it's going to make these white kids be uncomfortable. Uh, and I think we all know how untrue that is. What 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 strikes you? I mean, what what do you feel about that? What do you what do you say to people? I want those championing freedom, the patriots of peace, the ones who march into our schools, handcuff our history, hold our imaginations hostage, the so-called American dreamers. I want them to uncage their hearts, to cast off their chains of fear, to remember the bedtime stories that comforted them when nightmares chase sleep away, to remember the first grade teachers who read them pictured fables that showed them how to love each other and planted the seeds of possibility that blossomed into their becoming, to remember how hopeful it felt to be held by their mother's songs and poems on nights when thunder ravaged the sky. I want them to know that banning a book is like banning a hug, and that's a dismal storm no child should be left behind in. Hmm. That uh, was a uh, poetic, lyrical. Uh, loved it. We gonna, We might as well end the show. Yeah. So who's going to follow that? Yeah. Uh, so, listen. Uh, Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Kwame Alexander. He's going to be at the Civil Rights Memorial Center uh, Friday. That's uh, well. We're recording this on Thursday, and uh, so it'll be today when this thing uh, comes out. Uh, and listen, go and see him buy the books. Make sure you buy the band ones first uh, and give them to everybody that you can. Kwame, we really appreciate you coming and spending some time and for for everything that you do and and spreading it around and making the world a little brighter place. Appreciate you all. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Uh, It's Kwame Alexander. Man, that's... uh, I, I don't even know why I'm still talking.